If you have your Bible with you, Malachi chapter 3 is what we're going to be reading from this morning, and we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 12. And before we dive into our scripture passage, let's pray to God and ask that he would bless the reading and teaching of his word this morning. Let's pray. Dear God, you say that if any person lacks wisdom, let him ask. Let him ask you who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given. You say, let them ask in faith without doubting, for every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from you, the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And this morning we come to you, God, and we ask, pour out your wisdom on us. You're the one who gives generously, the one who does not change. You're the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You are eternally wise and good. Help us, God this morning to know your ways. Teach us your paths. Lead us in your truth and teach us because you are the God of salvation, the one we wait on. And we also ask God, given how challenging this message is this morning, that you would humble our minds, humble our souls. You say you oppose the proud but give grace to the humble. So would you draw near to us, God, and give us minds and hearts that are humble and ready to listen, hearts and minds that are humbled by your Holy Spirit. And we ask all of this to you, God the Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of your Spirit. Amen. So Malachi chapter 3, this is the Word of God, beginning in verse 6, reading through verse 12. Malachi comes before the people of Israel, speaking for God, and says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Well, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke and devour for you, the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruit of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of God. Now, just by show of hands, who's heard a sermon out of this text before? So this is usually a staple in, in most uh, church calendar years, right before the budget season. <laughs> and um, I want to I make clear just something here really this morning. Our, our church is in a fantastic financial spot. God has abundantly blessed us. We, we serve a generous congregation. God has been so generous in pouring out his blessings on us. So the reason that we're talking about Malachi chapter 3 on Mother's Day is not because we're in financial straits and need to make up a shortfall. That's not the reason. You know the reason that we're doing this? It's because we started in Malachi, chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to finish through Malachi, chapter 4. <laughs> and this just happens to be the text. And what's a real blessing about that is God will help us grow spiritually because of this. 
God will help us grow spiritually because of what he has to say here this morning about giving, about tithing. And I want to start this morning, and it, you, you've probably seen these. They, they float around on, you know, social media and stuff. Obscure laws that are still on the books in some states, but are never really enforced. So I was looking up some of these this week. In Boulder, here in Boulder County, large rocks may not be rolled on city property. That's weird. That had maybe a meaning some time ago. It doesn't seem really clear why anymore. In Logan County, it's illegal to kiss a woman while she is sleeping. Even your wife. <laughs> maybe. In Louisville, residents are allowed to own as many as three turkeys, but absolutely no chickens. In Denver, it's illegal to loan out your vacuum cleaner to your neighbor. And I just, I just learned this one. I, I actually don't know if it's true or not. I heard it through the grapevine this week. If you go to a Colorado State Park, it's illegal to hike with more than 15 people because once you exceed the 15 threshold, you're considered forming a militia. So not sure, not sure why those are on the books. All of these laws technically are on the books, though, and still enforced, but in reality, they're, they're no longer enforced, right? Conceivably, you could arrest somebody for loaning out their uh, vacuum cleaner, and at one time, that made perfect sense, but police officers, district attorneys, prosecutors, they're never going to enforce those because the times are different. The times have changed so much so that that law no, mo no longer meaningfully applies to us now. Now, Malachi... The prophet prophesying to Israel about a thousand years, a millennium after God had entered into this specific covenant with the people of Israel, this covenant in which there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of ceremonial laws on the books that dealt with how Israel was to worship God, they need to hear this message. And, and there were these laws that dealt with temple sacrifices, they dealt with temple conduct, temple washings and anointings and ceremonial procedures. And all these laws were intended to show the world the people of God are a distinct people. The people of God are a holy people, set apart by God, different. And as the nations looked at the land of Israel... God's covenant people following his law, the, the nations, they were supposed to see a reflection of God's character himself, a God who desired purity and worship, that people would honor his name, a God who ruled his people in justice and equity, a God who loved, upheld, and provided for his people through all circumstances. These covenant laws showed the world a reflection of God's character. That was their purpose. And alongside these laws, God actually affixed blessings, blessings when Israel would obey, when Israel would follow the law, when people would obey the law, people would carry out these laws faithfully as God prescribed, and he would pour out blessings on the land. But on the other hand, God also affixed curses to the law, curses when Israel disregarded God. When Israel turned their back on God, when people failed to be faithful to the covenant laws God had given them. So at the end of books like Deuteronomy and Leviticus, God outlines the consequences of the law. God outlines the covenant blessings and curses affixed to the law. So you read in books like Leviticus chapter 26, a book that's filled with ceremonial laws. If you've ever read it, it's ceremonial law packed on top one after the other. And God 
then comes to his people and he says very explicitly at the end of this book, you shall not make idols for yourselves or erect an image or a pillar. And you shall not set up a figured stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season and the land shall yield its increase and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest and the grape harvest shall last to the time for sowing and you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land securely. I will give peace in the land and you shall lie down and none shall make you afraid and I will remove harmful beasts from your land and the sword shall not go through your land. Real, tangible, earthly blessings for obedience would have been poured out on God's people. The promised land would flourish. Trees would yield fruit. Rain would fall in the right season. Bread will be abundant. The land will be fertile. But you continue reading Leviticus 26, beginning in verse 14, God says, but if you will not listen and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes and if your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all my commandments, but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic and with wasting disease and fever that consumes your eyes and make the heart ache, and you shall sow your seed in vain. For your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when none pursues you. And if in spite of this you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins, and I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze, and your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield its increase, and the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. If you are not going to listen to God, Israel... The promised land will suffer. Trees will be barren. Fields will be like bronze. The sky will be as like iron. And worst of all, if Israel continued on in this disobedience, God said very clearly that he would expel the people from the land. If you're not going to steward the land, you're not going to obey my laws, then I'll expel you from the land. So he ends out this book by saying this is the ultimate consequence for disobedience. He says, and I myself will devastate the land so that your enemies will settle in it and shall be appalled at it. And I will scatter you among the nations and I will unsheathe the sword after you and your land shall be a desolation and your cities shall be laid waste. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Blessings for obedience. Curses for disobedience. And here it is, now 430 BC, a millennium has passed after God had ratified this covenant with the people a thousand years after God had entered into this covenant with Israel through Moses on Mount Sinai and God has sent Malachi the prophet to remind them through Oracle, even though times have changed, 
even though the context is radically different. God's covenant hasn't changed. And God's laws are still applicable. God's curses and blessings are still very much in effect. His covenant through Moses with Israel still stands. And Israel desperately needed to hear this. Think about it. Times had changed, they thought. They thought, oh, we're living in a different context. All those old ceremonial temple sacrifices and washings and the priesthood, all those laws in Leviticus and Deuteronomy written thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. God doesn't care about those things anymore. Technically, those laws are still on the books, but in reality, God no longer cares about those. But God, through Malachi, tells the people of Israel, no, that's not true. Times have changed, yes. Context has changed, yes. But have I changed? Has my covenant changed? Absolutely not. And that's how Malachi begins his prophecy in chapter 3, verse 6, by Speaking for God, God speaking through Malachi says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. The covenant ratified with Israel on Mount Sinai was still in effect. God hadn't changed, even though a thousand years had passed. God's laws, his blessings, his curses all remained the same. And what's more, Malachi makes it clear, Israel hasn't changed either. Just as Israel was disobedient to God throughout their history, just as Israel was unfaithful time and time and time and time and time again, not much had changed on their end either. That's why Malachi says in verse 7, From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Just as I have been faithful, says the Lord, since the time of Moses, you, Israel, have been unfaithful since the time of Moses. A millennium has passed but you are just like your fathers, continually walking in disobedience from me, turning aside from my statutes and not keeping my commandments. You remember when God delivered the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, he brings them to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up the mountain. He gets God's law. And as he gets God's law, he brings it down to the people. And the first law, do you remember the first law? I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. And then Moses has to go back up the mountain. And as he goes back up the mountain for 40 days, what's the first thing that the people do while Moses is back on the mountain? They make another God, right? They can't keep his covenant for more than 40 days. The second that Moses goes back up the mountain, the people look to Aaron, who's one of the priests, and they say, Aaron, you know what? Moses is gone. He seems like he's never coming back. Build us a God so that we can worship. And a golden calf comes forth. The people bow down to it. They break the first law of God within 40 days. And then God says other laws like do not commit adultery, do not marry foreign wives who will carry you off into worshiping false gods. And what's the first thing that they do? They get close to the nations that are around them in the wilderness. They see attractive women who are women from other tribes and they go and marry those wives. God says, do not break my Sabbaths. Keep the Sabbath day holy to the Lord, set apart. Do not go and collect Things on the Sabbath past 
the past uh, Friday afternoon, but Saturday comes and they're worried that they're not going to have enough food. So they go out and they gather. They cannot be committed to God's covenant. They haven't changed one bit in a millennium. Hannah and I, when we were first engaged and uh, she was just starting to get to know me, she noticed a lot of odd things that I do or things that she wanted to change bad habits that I have. I I have this habit of leaving the shower curtain open after I'm done taking a shower. And what'll happen is because, you know, it's all scrunched up, mold and mildew grows on the bottom of the of the shower curtain, and I'll forget to hang my towel up so it'll gather this musty smell. And I know that Hannah thought, once we get married, surely things are going to change. And now we're here 11 years into marriage, and not so much. No, not really. You know, Uh, It's Mother's Day, so I did close it this morning, and I think I took care of the towel. I'm not 100% sure now that I think about it. Same, that same principle is true in the Mosaic Covenant. God's covenant with Israel, he remains the same, ever faithful, ever forgiving. That's why they have not been consumed. But his laws are still the same. His blessings are still the same. His covenant curses are the same in Israel. They're just as unfaithful as their father Jacob, turning away from God's statutes and not keeping his commandments. They have not changed one iota in a millennium. So God, through Malachi, comes and he pleads with Israel. Pleads with Israel. He says, return to me. Return to me. And I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Don't walk away from my law. Don't disregard my commandments. Return to me. I'll pour out my blessing on the land. But as it stands right now, you're under my curse. But just as with all four of Malachi's previous oracles, the people of Israel are in disbelief, God says, return to me. And they're thinking, me? Us? Are you talking to us? You must be talking to somebody else. I mean, we're not like our fathers. They're the ones who got exiled. We're not like our fathers. We're not disobedient. Uh, You're asking us to return. We're walking in the right paths. We built your temple. It seems like things are okay between us. And God's response is, all right, well, do you want just one example? One example of how you've been disobedient? One example of how you need to return to me? He says in verse 8, will man rob God? Will man rob God, yet you are robbing me? And at the end of verse 8, he says, You are robbing me in your tithes and your contributions. Do you want just one concrete example? One example of how you need to return? How, How you, like your fathers before you, have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept my commandments? Here's one. You're robbing me by not giving me of your tithes. That word might be unfamiliar to some of you. The word tithes isn't, you know, a word we necessarily throw around. It's the Hebrew word. Uh, it's masar. It means a tenth, one over ten, a tenth. And in the Mosaic Covenant, God had several laws commanding tithing, where the best one-tenth of a person's possessions was to be given to God on a regular basis, given to the service of the temple, given as a, a way to support the priesthood. It was God's way of saying The first and the best of everything that you own should go toward your greatest need, which is spiritual. That is the principle. The best and the first of what you have ought 
to belong to God and be given to God, even before the clothes on your back, even before the food on your table, even before the roof on your head, the greatest need we have is spiritual to care first for our souls before God. It's a principle embedded within this covenant. So if you had 10 oxen, the first, the best oxen was to be given to God, given to God to care for your spiritual welfare, to care for the spiritual health of the people of Israel. If you were a merchant and you made $50,000 a year, the first 5,000 just be given to God, given to God, set aside for God and given to him. And God laid these commandments out explicitly in the Mosaic covenant. They would appear over and over. Leviticus 27, at the end again of this book filled with ceremonial laws, God says, quote, every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Then he goes on and says, and every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. The same commandments appear in Deuteronomy chapter 14, Numbers chapter 18. It was explicit. What's first? What's best? Reserved for God, holy to the Lord, to be reserved for the priesthood and to be given for the spiritual welfare of the people of Israel. So the people of Israel here during the time of Malachi, it's clear they're not doing this. Israel had not made these ties and contributions a priority or a practice. Israel had not given all that they were supposed to give. It was They were not tithing or contributing to the spiritual welfare of the nation. And it, this was widespread. If you look at verse 9, it says that this was happening throughout the whole nation. What was first and best was kept in people's pockets. And then the spiritual concerns of people made its way to the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh priority. If it was a priority at all. So some people would give a partial tithe, 3%, 5%, 6%, 7%. Others would give only what they could at the end of each year, what was left over, 1% or 2%, whatever, after they've saved everything and cared for their needs. Others would not give at all. They'd give 0%. They'd keep everything that they had, not give it back to God, give 0%. So God pleads with his people, return to me. Return. As it stands right now, you are robbing the Lord of hosts. That word robbing is really interesting, isn't it? It's when you, when you pay taxes at the end of the year, you owe something. And to not pay it, you're withholding. What God is saying is, you're robbing me of this. It's as if you're actively breaking in to God's possessions and you are taking out of God's possessions and hoarding them and running away in the middle of the night. You're robbing me. And you have to remember, Israel was in a time of serious economic downturn. Israel had faced repeated droughts, crop failure, famine. So what had happened is their view of giving, their view of tithing and what they should contribute spiritually, it got turned upside down. Their view became, well, God is, it's a time of drought, God, and it's a time of scarcity. Once we make more money, then we'll give out of our surplus. Or once we meet our material and worldly needs first, then we will provide for our spiritual needs and we'll give what's left over. And we should be empathetic because we do the same thing. Once I pay off this car loan, then I'll give. 
but I can't right now. Not while that's still on the books. Once we finish our basement, then I'll give. Once we reach the end of the month and if we have a little left over, ah, that's when I'll give. I'll give that amount. Or I'm going to give to this organization first and then whatever's left over, yeah, I'll give to, you know, the church. But that's completely upside down. It was supposed to be the first tenth, the best tenth that was holy to the Lord. The first priority was to be spiritual, then to meet the material needs, then to meet worldly needs. And it's just like their father's. In fact, if you were to go back just two generations, you don't even have to go back a thousand years to see Israel with these upside down priorities. The people were robbing God and turning aside from God's statutes just 70 years before, one or two generations before. It was the year 520 AD, or sorry, 520 BC, the second year of Darius, who was king of Persia. Just 70 years before Malachi, the people of God were saying this. They were saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. They had returned from exile. They had laid the foundation of the temple. But they said, ah, we'll get back to it sooner or later. But it now, now's just not the right time. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. And he said, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? The people of Judah were living in paneled houses. The time was right for them to build their house, to put an addition onto their home, to build a stable in the back, to get a new donkey. But just across the city, at the temple, foundation, but nothing else. And the people are saying, "Ah, time isn't right, you know, we just don't have the time, we don't have the resources to rebuild the house of the Lord. Maybe once things pick up a bit, don't you know there's scarcity, there's, fa- there's dr- famine, there's drought. Maybe once that drought eases up, maybe once we get a little bit more stable financially, then we'll be able to get back to the temple. But that's just not, <laughs> that's just, it's just not a good time, God. But that's upside down. And it's robbing God. Again, happy Mother's Day. I have to confess, I struggled with this text this week because I went back and I considered my giving practices, which by the way, if if you ever want to ask me, I'm more than willing to share all of my giving practices to you. So I will be as transparent as possible. If for whatever reason you want to ask, I will be completely transparent. And I had to wrestle with this this week because I pulled out tax return 2022 and 2021. And here's what I noticed. If I am honest, over the last several years, I have been very aggressive towards saving towards retirement. And we are giving as well. But in 2020, it was retirement and giving. And then in 2021, it was retirement and giving. And then in 2022, it was retirement and giving. I had been aggressive toward retirement but got kind of content, kind of complacent in giving. Here I am, and my first and my best is going to 403B and 401K, and my second or third priority has been the God, the Lord of hosts, who does not change. 
And two and a half millennia after Malachi, here I am, a pastor turning aside from God's statutes and not keeping God's commandments, just like my fathers at Mount Sinai during the time of Haggai, during the time of Malachi. And you know what's most alarming about this is that we, as followers of Jesus, have even more reason than the people during the time of Moses the people during the time of Haggai and the people during the time of Malachi had to give. We have more reason to be generous. More reason to live with our spiritual and financial priorities right side up because we live after the coming of Jesus Christ, following the coming of Jesus. Let me show you what I mean. Look again at verse 9. You notice what God says to the people of Israel. He says, you are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. You see, we already talked about this. In the Mosaic Covenant, before the coming of Jesus, God was gracious. He was faithful. He was forgiving. But in a very real way, their stay in the land depended on their obedience. Obedience to his law brought blessings upon the nation of Israel. Disobedience to his law brought curse to the promised land. And Malachi says here, because Israel was disobedient in the tithing laws... God brought a very real, literal, earthly curse on Israel. They were cursed with a curse. God's covenant with Moses hadn't changed, even though a thousand years had passed. Therefore, the nation and the promised land suffered. Israel was swarmed by locusts. If you look at verse 11, it talks about this devourer. It's the term for a locust that's coming and destroying their crops before it can even yield fruit. They're wearied because of this crop failure. Their trees are barren. Their fields are like bronze and the sky is like iron. God is raining down a curse on the people of God for violating his covenant laws. But now Jesus has come. (laughs) And all of the Mosaic covenant, all of God's laws, every part of the covenant has been fulfilled, finalized, completed, obeyed. God has not changed. In fact, he is so faithful, so gracious, so forgiving, so committed to his covenant that God sent his own son to be faithful in our place. God hasn't changed. Israel's unfaithful. So what does God do? He sends his own son to be faithful in the place of his unfaithful people. And now that Jesus has come, all of the temple ceremonies, all of the laws have been fulfilled and obeyed perfectly in Jesus. Now that Jesus has come, as Tim reminded us earlier, there's a great exchange. All of the curses of the law, all of the curses for our disobedience were poured out on Jesus because of our sin. And what's more, now because Jesus has come, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places has been poured out on us who have faith in Jesus Christ. That's a great exchange. Friends, if you have faith in Jesus, there is no more curse of God for you, ever. And it does not matter how much you sin. If you return to God in faith and repentance, his blessing will abound more and more. Why? Because the law came through Moses and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What a great exchange. How much more reason do we now have to be generous? God didn't just give 10% or 4% or nothing at all. No, he gave his first and best offering. He gave his only son to obey his covenant laws in our place, to bear the curse of the law as our Savior, and to give us every spiritual 
blessing and our financial priorities are still upside down just like our father's. Friends, many of us are robbing God. Now I acknowledge there's some disagreement on this. You know, some people will say Christians are still commanded to tithe. That they, that they have to give 10% of their income. That's an expectation. Give the first one-tenth of your possessions on a regular basis to God. Others will say, and this is more where I'm inclined, others will say, yeah, that that tithe, that was a command, part of the Mosaic Covenant, specifically for the people of Israel during the time of the temple, and it's no longer binding for Christians. That's more where I land. Just as we no longer make sacrifices to God, right? We're no longer commanded to bring sacrifices or celebrate feasts or festivals. Now, we're no longer commanded to tithe. But regardless, whether you believe that the tithe is still binding for Christians or whether or not you think Jesus has fully completed those laws and now no longer calls us to give in that way, regardless, across the Old Testament and across the New Testament, Mosaic Covenant, New Covenant, the pattern of giving is abundantly clear. For a follower of Jesus, giving is to be regular, consistent, and sacrificial. For a follower of Jesus, those are the criteria. Not asking, how much do I have to give? Rather, on our knees in prayer, asking God, the Lord of hosts, praying to God, Lord, given everything you have given in your Son, Jesus Christ, how much now can I give? How much can I give? Help me give the first and the best to the church for my spiritual welfare and needs to be cared for. Whatever it is, whatever the number is, Lord, help me. Help me. Give me wisdom. Pour out your spiritual wisdom and tell me how much can I give to be a good steward of the resources and light of the grace and love and blessings poured out in Jesus Christ. There's an organization called Gray Matter. They're a Christian research group. They did this comprehensive analysis several years ago on the giving of evangelical Christians in the United States. 13% of evangelical Christians give regularly, consistently, and sacrificially to the local church. 13%. 25% of people who call themselves Christian in America gave nothing to the local church last year. And 19% of Christians on average give nothing at all. Friends, if, if the pattern across Old Testament and New Testament is to give sacrificially, regularly, and consistently, and if those numbers are accurate, some of us are robbing God. God has not changed. We need to return to him in our giving to the church. We need to repent of our upside-down priorities, spiritual priorities first, worldly uh, priorities second. Friends, we are not in a budget crunch. But out of the overflow of grace in your heart. Ask the Lord, how much can I give? I pray for the day where during the time of Moses, the people were bringing contributions to, to build this tabernacle in the wilderness so that God could dwell with the people. And Moses and Aaron had to finally turn people away because God had poured out his grace on his people to such a degree that they had to say, hey, we can't take anymore. We, we don't have enough we, we have too many resources and, and there's not enough work to do. So he had to actually turn people away. I pray that that would happen among our church. And that's how Malachi closes his prophecy. He says, bring in the full tithe. Just bring it in. Test him on this. 
test God on this point. Prayerfully and sacrificially give in accordance to what Christ has done. Verse 10, he closes this oracle by saying, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and therefore, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. You know, today, as I've mentioned, it's Mother's Day. And if you were in my household the past couple days, the kids have been working all day, Friday and Saturday, Saturday to make Hannah presents to give her this morning. Every piece of cardboard and paper and paint in our house, they're looking for everything they can possibly give to Hannah. In fact, Hannah and I were working out in the yard and we looked over to our recycle bin. One of the kids had pulled over the recycle bin had all of the recycling stuff laid out so that they could find certain things so they could go inside and make Hannah these special presents. Cardboard hearts and cardboard butterflies and making cards, painting pictures, writing notes and letters, even coloring old yogurt cups. (laughs) Their thought isn't, it's Mother's Day tomorrow. How much do I have to give mom this year? It's not their posture. No, their thought is the exact opposite. Look at everything mom has done for us. This mom who sacrificed on her behalf, given of herself time and time and time and time again, smiled through 3 a.m. feedings, endured midnight wet-my-bed moments, changed my diapers, tenderly put Band-Aids on scraped knees and elbows, made sure medicines were taken and and fevers were knocked down. Look at everything mom has done for us. Therefore, how much can we give back to her on this special day? Friends, the blessings have already been poured out for us by God through Jesus. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is yours through faith. If God was willing to provide his best and of his first, to not withhold his own precious son to be cursed with a curse in our place, then test him on this. Test him on this. Bring in the full tithe, prayerfully and sacrificially give in accordance with what God through Christ has done for you. And this is the promise, you will only know delight as a result. Remember the purpose of the covenant. The purpose of the covenant was that all the nations would look at Israel and see the reflection of God himself. What better way than this? Than to reflect the God who so loved us, did not withhold his only son in grace. What better reflection of God's character to be open-handed with the resources that he's given us, asking him, Lord God, in light of your grace, here is what I bring you. God has not changed. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Bring in the full tithe. Put me to the test. Then all nations will see the character of God, and you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you say, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the law and do them. And because you are faithful and you never change, you sent what was your best and what was first, your own son, Jesus, to fulfill the covenant in our place, to fulfill the law. 
that we have so often failed like our fathers. Jesus, you have redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us by your sacrifice on the cross. We thank you. And Father, we confess. Some of us have been robbing you. Some of us have been withholding what is rightfully yours. Forsaking giving, forsaking generosity. Have mercy on us, God. Help us to repent. Help us to be people who give sacrificially, regularly, consistently, not out of compulsion or obligation or reluctantly, but out of a cheerful heart, out of a heart of thanksgiving, a heart that's reflected on the grace that is ours in Christ. Help us flip our priorities, which are so often upside down. Help us trust and obey you, who has opened up the heavens already in Christ and given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. We ask all of this to you, God the Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the power of your Holy Spirit.